we do like a lateral broad jump to vertical jump or lateral broad jump to uh, like a bound or something. You know, we'd, we'd start linking exercises together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I felt like when we started doing that, kids like really liked, like they really enjoyed putting those different pieces together. And they really enjoyed like changing almost set by set, slightly tweaking the activity we were doing. That was Jeremy Frisch, and you are listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another show. Absolutely love and appreciate you guys, and uh, thanks for being here for this episode. Uh, You guys got a good one headed your way. Jeremy Frisch is our guest today. He is the founder and performance director of Achieve Performance Training in Clinton, Massachusetts. He has been one of the absolute biggest influences in how I see and connect or I should say how I see the long-term development of athletes, especially on the level of youth sport training and that developmental process from youth into scholastic and beyond. But he's also had a massive influence on how I just look at training in general. He's been a multi-time guest here and uh, he's got four kids as well. And so in addition to being in the strength and conditioning setting, he's also done a ton of youth sport coaching. So uh, between all of his... um, Areas, And he'll also talk about adult fitness today on the show. Jeremy just has that swath, um, that spectrum of experience and knowledge. And so he'll be talking about that today. He'll get started by actually talking about how his other coaching has impacted his adult fitness classes. And so you can kind of see and look along that spectrum and see the tweaks and adjustments and how he treats that population. We'll also talk about the strength and conditioning, I guess you could say mentality or approach in general in terms of really maxing out one's physical attributes uh, relative to taking confidence in one's sports skill abilities. We'll be kind of dividing out different archetypes of athletes there. Jeremy will be getting into important uh, game speed ideas, developmental steps through childhood into different games and what comes with those, uh, what comes with different field sizes, different approaches to different games as athletes grow and develop. And these are also things that could be important with the field size and the game space that could also fit with uh, scholastic or university athletes. And we'll finish off the show with talking about creative and engaging training, how to make an experience more immersive, and uh, also be talking a little bit about aerial work. So I think cartwheels, trampolines, flips. If you watch Jeremy's youth training, you'll see a lot of that in there. So really great show today. I absolutely enjoy talking to Jeremy, and I know you guys will love this show. That being said, we'll get started here on episode 350. I always love talking to Jeremy. I know you guys will really enjoy this show. Before we get started with the show, I wanted to highlight our show's three sponsors. We'll start with Lila's Exogen Wearable Resistance. Exogen Wearable Resistance is a quantum leap forward in resistance technology. We have, uh, we've had things like weighted vests and ankle weights for an awful long time. And if we look at that next level up, Exogen is it. It is microweights that are around 100 to 200 grams that you can strap specifically on the body to overload and potentiate. And they operate not only through angular resistance, so you think about the swinging shin in the air or the arms through the air, but they also can spiral, so you can internally rotate, externally rotate. They are incredibly effective, uh, not just from a potentiation standpoint, but also in creating awareness of good movement patterns. You can create resistance to the patterns that you're looking to really um, emphasize. And you also learn a lot about how the body moves along the way. It's an amazing training tool. If you want to check out more about it, you can head to lilateam.com. That's L-I-L-A-T-E-A-M.com. And for 15% off your order, you can use the code JFS2023 at checkout. Our next sponsor is Lost Empire Herbs. I will always look to nature for not only uh, looking and understanding how the body works and how the body moves and how we grow and adapt 
but I also look to it in my supplementation process. Lost Empire Herbs has just really allowed that to hit home for me on multiple levels. In the earliest products that I try with Lost Empire, such as the Phoenix Formula, Mushroom Tincture, Pine Pollen, I noticed immediate effects on my energy, well-being, my strength levels. And comparing that to things that are just like laden down with caffeine and beta alanine that makes your face kind of feel tingly so you feel like it's working. Um, the Lost Empire Herbs was such a refreshing change. I absolutely stand by the product. I love the fact that I'm able to partner with these guys and you can get 15% off your Lost Empire Herbs order by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. If you also want to try their pine pollen for free, you can head to justflypinepollen.com. You do have to pay the normal price of shipping on your order, but that's a great way to dip your toe in as well. So be sure to check out Lost Empire Herbs. The last sponsor we have is Strength Coach Pro. Strength Coach Pro is an online training portal for use by strength coaches, personal trainers. If you write programs for clients and you want it to be delivered to them in a digitized, professional manner and have it done with no recurring fees, so you pay one time and you get the software for life, then check out Strength Coach Pro. You can check it out and book a free demo by heading to strengthcoachpro.com. That's strengthcoachpro.com. All right, let's get on to episode 350 with Coach Jeremy Frisch. So Jeremy, the first question I have for you, you know, maybe a little bit different than a typical like play, sport, athletic performance, but you know, in watching all your videos, you see kids just flying all over the place, jumping through hoops, obstacle courses, playing but you also do adult fitness. And so I'm yep. curious, you know, and it's to me, it's such an interesting thing to run that full spectrum. But in light of all the play based things that you do with the youth end of the performance, what do your adult classes look like? Yeah, so we do a fair amount of I wouldn't say we play a lot, but I would say that we definitely like get on the floor and move around and try to do similar type of movements that you probably see the kids do. You know what I mean? So you know, we, we take out the balance beams and have the adults do various, you know, variety of, of uh, exercises walking across the beams. They might be like a low lunge or like uh, sideways, you know, walk kind of laterally in a half squat, holding the ball over their head. Like something that's, you know, I don't think with, with, with uh, adults, they really want to play a game. But I think what they do like is a challenge and something different than they do on a typical day. You know what I mean? So bear crawling across the planks. We have that obstacle course thing with like the planks that go like up and down. So we'll have that. We'll have adults doing forwards and backwards bear crawls on there. And just, to, just by like taking the surface area and making it smaller than you typically deal with on the floor, you're making it more challenging. And, and they like, they eat that stuff up. They love it. So, you know, and we'll still do things like, uh, we'll take the heavier medicine balls, like the slam balls, and we'll have them do throws for height or distance mostly distance and we'll send like measure them and they, they put a cone down and try to beat their score. You know what I mean? So it's some type of like uh sort of goal oriented type, type exercise there. But also, you know, we squat and kettlebell swing and press and deadlift and row and things like that all the time. I do a fair amount of like hurdle mobility stuff. They like, they seem to really like that type of stuff, like stepping over and ducking under and crawling under. And, you know, they, they really enjoy doing, challenge getting challenged doing like just basic like sprints and shuttles and some of the things we would do maybe conditioning wise with our athletes they enjoy that stuff as well sometimes we'll do uh, medicine ball throws off the wall and i'll take out the radar gun and be like yeah you know you just you just hit 10 miles an hour let's let's try to hit 12 you know so it forces them to like try harder and instead of just being in so monotonous all the time 
you know? So yeah, I, I think I, I've always enjoyed doing adult fitness, especially the, the groups, because the people there are always like willing to kind of listen to what you're going to, you throw at them and they're always looking for a challenge. So you can, you can really mix up the type of training that you do for sure. Yeah. I was, you know, I was just thinking too about, I, I forget if it was like a, like a new, this was a news segment or something, but it was a guy whose job was just like demolition. Like he just had a sledgehammer and just break, like, you know, just break apart <laughs> sites that down or whatever. And he would just get random people walk by and say, Hey, you want to take a few, or they'd ask to take a few hits, you know, and like, oh, yeah. can I break this? I had a tough day at work. And like, but when you were talking about that, uh, the segue is where you're talking about the medicine ball. And as soon as you mentioned medicine ball, I was like, I bet some adults would really love like whipping that thing against the wall as hard as they could, you know, like that would just be such a, not just physical, but like a mental and emotional thing that like, wouldn't everyone love doing that? <laughs> it's just fun, especially with the radar gun. Yeah, they love, they love, that's a big one. That's always like, ah, uh, they'd love to be able to like, just have something that you can throw and just like let loose. There's some type of, I don't know what it is, but there's some type of, uh, you know, stress release there when you really like just put your whole body into something. So I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of using medicine balls with, with the older, you know, with the adults for sure. Uh, you know, we throw, we do a lot of stuff on one leg. We do like your basic, like the old, they burn game better stuff with chops and circles and, you know, doing those type of things. We always do that stuff in warmups. So, I mean, we got in, in the gym, we have so many different varieties of medicine balls as well. Like the ones with the handles on them, you know, the slam balls that are a little heavier, which I love those slam balls too, because it's like a, with the younger kids and the adults. So like my adults and younger kids probably don't do any Olympic lifting. Like I don't, mm -hmm. they're just, you know, both, both ends of the spectrum, right? They're not, the kids are not ready and the adults are probably past that mobility wise. So it's like, well, what can we do for like power development and sort of an introduction for kids, but also to be able to continue to move something fast as you get older to keep that kind of power element in their program. So we have, you know, those slam balls that are 15, 20, 25, 30. I mean, we got them all the way up to 50 pounds. We'll do like heavy squat throws, just have them mm -hmm. launch the ball in the air, just explode. You don't even just their feet leave the ground, everything you got. And it's probably only going to go three or four feet high in the air. And then it hits the ground and they, then they do it again. So I really love those for those two, for those uh, two types of population, because, you know, it's really simple to teach. And they can crank, they can just crank away at it. And it's like, you do like, you get like a, an adult throwing a 30 pound, doing a squat throw, everything you got five, six reps, they're huffing and puffing when they're done with that set. You know what I mean? And, and then you can also like pair it with like, you know, oh, we're going to do five squat throws with this medicine, heavy medicine ball. And then right after that, I want you guys to do eight squat jumps with no body weight. So you're doing some type of like you can continue to do complex training with adults and it hasn't have to be super complicated or dangerous. You know what I mean? And then the same thing with the kids, it's like, all right, well, we're not going to teach you how to Olympic lift yet, but this is a great segue into those type of activities. You know, we've done things where we had like squat throw with the heavy ball. Then we moved into like maybe a dumbbell snatch. Then we taught kids how to do like a kettlebell swing. And then eventually we taught them how to like get in, hold the bar, and mm -hmm. learn how to do like a basic hand clean, right? So there's an easy progression that you could, you could probably do that progression over like three years if you wanted to, doesn't matter. But, you know, so I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of those type of activities. Yeah. Like what you said with the younger, uh, younger athletes and the older ones not doing the Olympic lifts, but I, it makes me think about, well, find the thing, whatever it is for them, find the thing you feel like you can win at and do well. And it strikes yep. me that, you know, if you got like 
a nine-year-old athlete, they're not going to win at learning a clean, you know, they're not going right. to love it. Like they would love throwing a ball as far as they could, as high as they could, you know, that's much more yep. meaningful. And I even look to like a, a lot of adult fitness classes, you'll see a lot of them doing like, Hey, we're going to do box jumps, but you got to, you got to pull out like a 12 inch box. It's not like that much right. fun. It probably, it seems like it'd be more fun than doing that repeatedly to at least chuck something that goes higher or further, you know, and, and yep. that, that you can impart more velocity into than just, Hey, just, jump on this box that's not very high a bunch of times or something i mean i don't know i don't run those types of classes that often so may, i mean maybe it is that fun for people but i know for me i would much rather you know if, if my jumping wasn't great but i could throw a ball against the wall really hard or really fast or something it strikes me that that would be a little more meaningful or enjoyable for yeah. where i was at you, like i could win for it. sure i could win yep yeah we we definitely replace box jumps with adults with step up jumps way easier to teach and again you got to do both sides of the body so you're getting you know double the reps too so uh, they seem to like those way better and it's easier to learn and uh, you can vary the height. You know, you can use one box, two box. We have uh, some people that use the bigger boxes, but that seems to be another great exercise. Uh, instead of box jumps where you can miss and destroy your shins and have a whole host of problems, you know, step up jumps don't seem to cause that problem. And you're still getting that fast kind of push off the ground and, and getting up in the air. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not a fan of uh, the kids do box jumps, but the adults, not so much. Yeah, I, I think it's so cool how you train such a spectrum because it's like what m almost everybody sees. And again, I'll, most of this show is going to be about youth training or game speed or, or developmental scholastic training, that type of thing. But I, I just think that the more populations you train and the more you use your creativity in, in so I guess you could say, solving the problem of what this group needs in front of me with this population. I, I can't you know imagine that. I mean, you know, even for me, too, or what I'm trying to say is like even with me working with kids with, with youth soccer has made me a better coach when I'm working with middle school athletes. Sure. Like it just, the more you can train, the more populations, I think the more the whole puzzle seems to fit together. Yeah. I feel like at this point in my career, you know, I could walk on the field with a football team, a college football team and like kind of bullshit my way through mm -hmm. a warm up and stretch in a speed session pretty easy. And they would probably have no idea that I don't do that all the time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, same, but I feel like I can do that with a sixth grade soccer team, you know, or a bunch of little kids just playing around. Or, yeah, I feel like being, have, have, having been a strength coach in the college level, you know, I got that experience and then working with plenty of high school kids. And then we worked, I worked my way down over the years, you know, and then always having that adult component. I don't feel like I have trouble with any sort of group. You know, if you, if you, you'd, Joel, if you took me and stuck me in with the unprepared to say, hey, I'm going to throw you in this group today. You know, I, I feel like I could get, I could get through it and it would not be a disaster, you know? So it's good. I think that's a good, that's why I try to tell any younger coaches that come through the, our doors, you know, try to work with everyone you can and get as much experience. You might not love it at the time, mm -hmm. but realize that the, uh, the group that you're working with is going to make you a better coach down the line. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I like the idea too of, I mean, strength and conditioning is is more of a generalist thing than it is a, a specific thing. And I feel like as such, it's not just the means that you're using and having a generalist mentality to learning a, a lot of different skills, a lot of different lifting skills, but it's also the skill of being in front of a lot of different age groups and right. needs. And it's like, it almost more so than I think trying to really hammer the specifics of what a group needs over and over and over again, by just doing different groups, you start to get an intuition that kind of goes beyond just 
looking at the specific problem again and again and again. <laughs> it's like you can right. finally get outside your 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 bottle or your box, and and by getting outside the box, you actually see. It's like you look back into that box with a new light. And yeah, I think well, I kind of like what we were talking about earlier. I think one of the problems right now because I think youth conditioning is exploding. Right, is that an organization might take on that type of training or that type of uh, program without any experience or knowledge. And say you only work with high school and college kids, and then all of a sudden you got a middle school group. Well, the thing you're going to lean onto is like what you know, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to do, it's going to look like little kids training like high school, college kids, you know? So I think, I think that's what we were talking about earlier. Like I would love to be able to go around teaching people like what is the appropriate age? Like what are the things you do at this age? What do you do at this age? How do you transition from sort of that pre-adolescent to almost early adolescent to adolescent? Because all those things are different. And obviously there's some carryover to each one and every kid's different. Yes. But there's definitely a, a significant difference in those time periods. You know, so I feel like I was like, we were talking about earlier, that would be that would be my dream to be able to, to get with people and organizations and groups and show them the different ways that you can approach training at different age levels. Yeah. And so kind of speaking of working across the spectrum, I, I do think that the more time you spend, even if not coaching, just watching kids play, you appreciate their problem solving ability and speed as they have it. Like, right. and I, I think that one of the interesting things that I've noticed in my time just coaching five and six year old soccer players is it's changed my at least thought process in terms of how I define speed a little differently. I think you know game speed is is reacting to game situations, solving problems quickly. And then of course you you have adequate linear speed to do that. But when I watch kids play, and, and I try to think of why this is, and I know we were talking about this for a little bit before we push record, but the kids who are good on the five and six year old level, like they aren't just faster if you if you put everyone in a race and they might not actually be that much faster than the other kids, but usually they are. But it's not just that they do everything faster, like they get on the ball faster, they react faster, like literally every single thing they do, not just running in a straight line, has more speed to it. And I'm just at the tip of the iceberg with that, like I'm only seeing this from you know, the perspective of here's five and six year olds who already are just generally wired and making decisions faster and moving faster and reacting faster than the other kids. And I asked myself, well, how, you know, how, where did this come from? You know, the genetic proportion, did you just grow up playing and reacting and doing these things already more than other people? And then how does that, how do you see that as these athletes get older, as they are 10, 15, you know, they get into college. So I guess my question for you is what are your thoughts on how you observe speed in young athletes and then how that changes as they grow and they mature and they get older and how that's impacted your definition of, of speed? Well, it's funny. I've seen kids all over the map. I can give you an example. Like my, when my oldest son was like third grade in the, his football team, he was the fastest kid on the team. And then I can tell you by sixth grade, seventh grade, he was probably middle end of the pack you know, speed wise, because his body changed, which happens a lot with boys. They tend to grow out before they grow up. And now he's, you know, hit puberty, found the weight room, his whole body changed. And now he's back to, he's bigger, stronger, and, and faster than most of the kids that he plays with. Mm. You know what I mean? He's one example, but then I have another kid who just been fast his whole life. You know what I mean? He's just a kind of wiry and skinny. And 
you know, he's the second child where he did everything the first one did. So he followed him around doing everything and just sort of observed and picked up on things. And so he's just been fast, just <laughs> right, right from the get-go. He's always been a good mover. And I think when you have a kid who's kind of observes things and picks things up and then they, they try those things out uh, often, they become even more coordinated and they become even, you know, even faster. And then they put that speed that they have and that coordination into like playing with their friends and their sports and things like that. And it sort of, it sort of just kind of adds up and stacks up on each other where you have that kid who's just kind of fast all the time. You know what I mean? He's like, I guess you could call him a gamer or hey, have good game speed. And so that's, that's, I think there's, it's, it's really, there's not one set way where you see speed develop literally across the board. You see it go up and down for some kids and you see other kids who are just from the get go fly around. I will say that I think that parents sort of may, may not know of or miss like those first few years of life can have such, I think have such a, and this is just my opinion, having four kids and just working with so many kids over the years and always asking questions about to the parents. But, you know, you have an opportunity when, a, when the, when a baby's born, you have an opportunity to put them in the right environment to be able to learn how to become a competent mover. Right. So for example, putting a baby on their belly, right. On floor time, they just grew in there, you know, for nine and a half months, they they have no muscle tone. They have there's their nervous system still developing, right? What's the best way for them to be able to sort of figure out their environment and get stronger and fight against gravity? And that's like floor time, belly time. You know what I mean? And I know some pediatricians talk about that you need to get your kids to do that, but I don't think they push it enough. Mm. There's a he's like a his name was Ian Hunter. I read this book. He's like a therapist that helped people after having strokes and he has this one line in his book. It was called the floor is the child's neurological workshop. Hmm. It's a great, li- great line because it's true. Like when you put the baby on the floor or in a, in a an environment or like a playpen or whatever, and you just leave them alone, they're going to figure out how to like lift their head and push off the ground and reach and move. They're going to figure it out. They're, they're gonna. So the more you do it, right. The more opportunity you give them to do those things, Instead of like, you know, putting them in a jumper or a a swing or any of those things that can find them, the more you do that, the more time they're going to spend in those early years when they're really developing at a rapid rate to develop their nervous system. You know what I mean? And so I think there's a, those first two years of life, if you can do so much as far as like, and I'm not talking about like, Hey, I'm taking my infant. I'm going to make it. I'm an elite athlete. I'm talking about making them a competent mover mm. so they can go out in the playground and run around with their friends. They can ride a bike. They can learn to swim. They can just enjoy their life and not be scared to try things and do things physically. You know what I mean? And if, if they're able to take those things and play sports, great, that's fine. And then the other side of it is having, so they're those first two years of life. Think about this. And two years after that, when they're four, four and a half, five, they're freaking in school, right? And they need the structural framework to be able to sit down and listen and pay attention and write. And you know what I mean? You need a significant amount of strength just to sit in a chair to be able to listen to what your teacher's saying. And you've seen kids like I, I've, I've, I've seen it like kids literally like 
they're so unattached proprioceptively that they'll like daydream and slide out of their chair. They'll fall right out of their chair. You know what I mean? They're not connected to their body whatsoever. So, you know, I think those early years, those first two years, three, four years of life, if you can expose the child to as much movement as possible, like wrestling with not wrestling, like where you heard of, but you know, <laughs> flip them upside down and letting them roll over and letting them climb on you and climb on the couch. Like you always talk about that. Like your son jumping off, jumping off the bed, jumping yeah. off the couch. Like you can either not, you could either say, no, don't do that stuff. Right. And never expose them to those things because you think it's dangerous or you can get involved and say, all right, we're going to jump off the couch. I'm going to stay here and make it, make sure it's a fairly safe environment. And then what happens is, is they become more competent at doing those things. Right. So that's why I love, like, there's a great line. And, uh, I think it was like the athletic skills model book or one of the, they got a new book out. It's more about physical education, but they were talking about like a crash mat. And like the great thing about a crash mat is it takes away the, Oh, I, I might get hurt because the landing is going to soften, you know, the pad's going to soften the landing. Well, that, what that, what that does now is allow kids to try a million different ways to land, right? They're going to flip, they're going to forward roll. They're going to, you know, twist in the air. So think about what that does. That padding, that pad on the floor allows these kids to move in a thousand different ways and to become more confident in moving in those ways. You know what I mean? So I think that if you can set up and now we can get into the, the more like, you know, sports and things like that. But if you set up there, those early years in life for them to become a competent mover, then you expose them to like the playground and recess and playing with their friends and pickup games and then sports practice, you know, you have this great foundation to build on later on. And again, you might have kids that are a little bit slow early on and then they'll pick up as they get older because they, as they get more skills and you might have kids who are just studs right away. But I think like one of the things that every human being can do, every parent can do is you can allow your kid, give them an opportunity to become a competent mover in those early years of life. Sorry if I kind of went off on a tangent there, but that's that's all good. I, you know, I, I think about that a lot with like uh, Rafe Kelly talks about rough and tumble play and, and how important I'm sure yeah, you have many Huge. times as well for th those young age groups. I, I do think about in working with uh, my daughters, she's seven. So she's just getting now into like the single gender soccer leagues. But the mixed gender is just interesting because I mean, there's some girls who are in the more um, the more aggressive groups like they the one I'm at. It's like they have the. Uh, with the five or six year olds, like there's two sets of goals. Like there's a aggressive side and a not aggressive side. <laughs> and yeah. they, that's what they call it. They call it the aggressive side. It's not that, well, the, your good side and not so good side. It's just more aggressive. And I think that, you know, there's occasional girls in that more aggressive side, but it's almost always, I would say it's usually about 80% boys on that side. And I, I think, you know, at least part of to do with it is that with that early uh, stage of development, at least, is I think those boys also just do a lot more. They're always wrestling each other. They're always doing they're just wired to do the rough and tumble stuff more often. And sure. it almost seems like the ones who have brothers and grew up wrestling more are the ones who are even more aggressive on the aggressive, that aggressive sure. side. And, you know, I think with the, with the, the speed thing, I think, uh, you know, as, at least as I've been around the youth and I, and I think about this, you mentioned the crash mat where you feel safe, like you feel safe to try whatever jump you want. I look at, like a lot of it, that game speed at that level, and I and I think it doesn't. It's it's at every level on a degree, but it's a lot of it's anxiety related because the kids who I see this with my own kids too. Like they'll play a lot faster with me, where they feel much more safe 
then yep. and then they go and play with other kids and they're they're anxious like they're they can't unlock what they have because there's more anxiety around it. But the other kids don't have that. They've probably maybe wrestling has something to do with that early on. Just, you know, yeah. just fighting people and stuff like that. And then, oh, that's just a ball. That's fine. That's no big deal. You know, and so I, I think about, you know, when we talk about game speed or problem solving rapidly, I do think that there is a like an anxiety related you know thing do i feel just safe to let loose here you know and yeah and yeah yeah for sure yeah yep i think too it's like uh you talked about it in one of your other your other podcasts like how the environment growing up and how you are when you're a kid like say you're sort of maybe like you're active but you're like sort of a step behind your buddies playing sports and that kind of turns you into like a grinder you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. you get sick and tired of like being behind them. So you start working, you get this, like this work ethic where you start working really hard. You know what I mean? And you also get smart where you learn to figure out what you do really well and you do it really, really, really well. Like I can give you a great example. Like my oldest son, he's six feet two ten. He's like, you know, we don't, we have a tiny high school. So he starts on the basketball team. He plays like forward center, right? He can't shoot. He's actually, if you talk about anxiety, when he gets the ball, it's like a hot potato. <laughs> he, he kicks it right back out to the, to the outside because he doesn't want to shoot, right? But he knows he's bigger and stronger than most kids on the floor. And so he rebounds and plays defense like his life depends on it, mm. right? And he's figured that out. Like he figured that out in like seventh, eighth grade. He's like, geez. Like I can push people around. I can get a rebound. I can, I'm athletic enough to move with kids and I can cover them. He's like, so it's like for him, he's worked extremely hard to like get big, get strong and be good at rebounding and playing defense. You know what I mean? So I think there's some kids that like, they may not uh, have the kind of show that you see, like the kids who score all the time. Right. But they're good at, figuring out like what they're good at and then they put everything they have into it you know so that's been pretty neat to watch yeah because my wife when I, my wife and i were talking about like all we wanted him to do is just like have fun and meet some friends and and play you know what i mean and then he like had this change his body changed and that body is now able to he can put it into into use doing certain specific things so whether it's rebounding or or playing defense or in football playing tight end blocking you know what i mean so it's interesting to see the kids grow and, and the, the different phases that they go through and, and the way they develop and their mindset approach to, to sports and in life. Yeah, it makes me that type of example. makes me think about like like Dennis Rodman, you know, the ultimate, you know, it's yeah. almost like the ultimate. I'm going to play and own my strengths like defense and rebounding and his team. Abs- that's what made the Bulls. The Bulls are a, a, a huge component of it. And yeah. I think I think his you know what, too, his coach appreciates it. I think everyone watching appreciates it. Like it's like a kind of a sort of, you got a guy just to, you know, <laughs> we, I, we bought him a hard hat just as a joke. It's like, you know, a hard hat and, and, a, and a lunch pail. Like he's going to work. Like, you know what I mean? That's his job. His job is to push guys around and get rebounds and like do the dirty work. And, you know, I love that he's embraced it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, uh, that, that kind of, you know, we talked about like the spectrum of things like you got, you kids uh, like youth or toddlers or babies, you know, interacting with the floor, moving up into youth, moving up into uh, the scholastic realm. And yep. I, try, I do think about like, 
like when people categorize like game speed and agility, you have like, you know, mirror react, dodge score, like those Nick DeMarco's categorizations. And I think about on the early level, like you want everyone to be good at everything, you know, like you want to be able to kids to kids not have, especially with like, like kids soccer, like just having overcoming anxiety and having confidence to score, you know, in soccer, it's easy. You know, that's a big thing you want people to be able to do. But I guess I also think about at what point do you start to understand, like, this is my strengths, like, this is what I meant to do in this context, like, and, and kind of finding that over time. I mean, when I'm working with younger kids, I just want them all to be able to basically do everything, you know, and I think we'd all probably want that. And yeah, I, I look at it also from the perspective of just like, you know, game speed or whatever. But I, I like the idea of teaching, like the ability to score and confidence and, and overcoming anxiety. If there's like, you feel like you have an incompetence somewhere and you can overcome that. But it's also, I think, interesting to always look at, look, like not everyone is going to be Michael Jordan. Like there's going to be some Dennis Rodman's in there and there's and you have to like own and appreciate the skills that you have that make you who you are, you know? Sure. And yeah. So um, I think that uh, that's another point there is that that's when the kids are young is that you really need to get them playing multiple sports, right? Because you don't know what they're going to not only gravitate to, but, you know, what they're the, the it's weird. You think that just because you, you get a good athlete, he might be good at everything. And there's guys like that, but there's some kids that like, let's say you get them into basketball and they're okay. But all of a sudden you put them in a soccer field in that wider space, whatever it is being in that open, more open space, they see the field and they, they understand soccer better than they do in a more closed space with basketball. You know what I mean? There's a girl that I comes out of my gym and you know, she's really athletic and, you know, we teach, we were teaching her, she's in sixth grade. We were teaching her some, some different types of lifts and she picked it up really quickly. And I watch her play soccer and she just owns the field. She's just everywhere. And I'm like, ah, oh, she's going to do great this year in hoops. And, you know, and she's been playing both sports for a long time, but you know, she's a little bit more, same thing. Like you just said, she's more timid. She doesn't feel super, you know, super comfortable with the ball in her hands compared to having the ball at her feet. And I think the spacing of basketball where it's like a lot more chaos and then smaller space sort of gets her a little bit more antsy and, and she can't use her linear speed as much. Whereas in soccer, if someone kicks the ball far, she can just basically outrun everyone and beat them. But I also think that those two things kind of help each other, right? You are, you are going to find yourself in small spaces and chaotic mm-hmm. environments in soccer sometimes, right? So basketball can help those things. And vice versa, I think there's probably points like fast breaks and stuff where you're flying at hoops down the court where, you know, soccer can help, you know, as far as like development, developing speed and and uh, just the ability to sprint, fly down the court in a straight line. So I think getting kids exposed to all those different sports at an early age, you can you give them an opportunity to see what they like and what they're good at, but also develop multiple skills across the whole spectrum, which trying to tell people that it's 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 hard well being a parent i figured it out like here's one thing that happens i think with a lot of kids let's say it's happened to us like in baseball like your kids having a great season right so little league goes on you know you play little league and then you get the all-stars in the summertime and the kids just finish the season on a bang you know they're Mm -hmm. hitting the ball they're throwing well like things are great like you're all sad that the season's over right so what happens is it's like, man, deep in your heart, you know, you kind of, as a parent, you want them to keep going because they're really enjoying what they're doing and they're having a lot of fun with the sport and they're doing really well. And you think to yourself, man, if we just kept going another month or two months, we would even be better at baseball. Right. 
Mm-hmm. But then the guy, like the professional Jeremy and me knows like, no, like we need to play football. We're, it's football season. We're going to play football this year. The kids like football. And when they get into football, they're going to love it. That transition, right? Leaving baseball into football. Yeah. The kids might like, oh, I don't know if I want to play this year. Like we always get that thing. And then two weeks into football, the kids are like, this is the best. I'm so glad baseball's over. Yeah. It was such a, gr- it was such a grind. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think though that happens a lot where the kids are younger is like, you got a parent maybe that doesn't know and be like, Oh yeah. Like we had a great baseball season. No, let's sign up for fall ball. Right. <laughs> and now they're playing Now they're frigging playing fall ball. And they're like, Oh, let's sign up for winter skill sessions. And then the next thing you know, you're playing baseball all year round. You know, that's literally how it happens. Same thing with like soccer. They, you're, you're Oh, he did so great in soccer this year. Oh, we're going to play indoor this year. Oh, oh now we're going to sign up for outdoor soccer. And before you know it, you're just, you're, you guys are playing just one sport. And I can tell you right now, like every season with, with, with the kids, my kids, like there's a hard, it's a hard transition. Like you're excited what they're doing and they're, they're happy. And they like really, especially when you get into like those all-star type games where you're traveling around and you're with the same parents and you're with the same kids. And, and you just think like, oh, this is so great. And it then it abruptly ends and you kind of want it to keep going. And so we've had those conversations with the kids like, no, you're, we're done. Baseball's over. And now it's on to football. Nope. Football's done. We're, we're not going to Florida. We're not going to try out for any all-star team for football and pay thousands of dollars. Like you had your season, you did great. You know what? Now we're going to start playing hoops. And so I'm so glad we're in that transition. You know, the kids just know now, but I can see it. I can see it happening in other families where like you get stuck on one sport. Yeah. One of the things, um, actually Austin Yoakum had recently mentioned this, and I know he's really intentional about this in his training spaces, finding ways for athletes to win. And like you mentioned, the girl who she feels like she's winning and probably is when she plays soccer instead of basketball plays to her strengths. But also then on the flip side, you do need to find space for people to work on their weak points. And I think that's definitely something where when kids specialize and maybe they do specialize in something they're better at, but they're just specializing in that sport, it's like, well, do you go to the skills person to work on your weak points? Is that really going to help your weak points? You know, versus like if your weak points was small, small space stuff in soccer, well, yeah, playing basketball, maybe you're not as good at it. But if you view it as when you're younger, at least as a chance to just work on your weakness and maybe you don't, maybe just like, hey, just get better at this and do your best and have fun. And just that itself is going to help you get better at smaller space type work or probably there's probably a variety of small space type things that you could do that would help that. But I think viewing it, it's interesting too. Like you could, uh, you know, I could view it as, Hey, if I have my own training space, it's like a playground. I can play with the size of the the space we're working in to manipulate these things for the group in hand, or also just in the developmental process for kids, thinking of it in that perspective as well. Like, you know, you got a kid who's just fast and does well in a big open field. Well, they're probably going to be good until the game gets tight enough that that doesn't work anymore. You know? Right. <laughs> you, yeah. You, yeah. You, I you, think, uh, well, I think that's like what, what, what I try to do when we, especially when we go down to the field with the kids is, you know, we'll play a game of tag, but we, we manipulate the game and we might make the space really small, which forces tons of change of direct, like a way more change mm-hmm. of direction. Right. So more decision-making, you know, more sort of side to side, quick, you know, quick stops and starts where then, then we expand the field and then it's more linear accelerations with even more, like probably more aggressive stops. So you see like, you know, those kids who are just studs being able to like, you know, put the brakes on and go the other way. But it's also for the kids that aren't that way, 
you know, it's a great training opportunity to learn how that feels to move really fast in one direction to like really throw the brakes on and have to go the other way. So you can, you can manipulate a game like that where, you know, you, if you want to work on small space type stuff, great. And if you want to work on, you know, if you want to expand the field and have them work more uh, speed oriented type stuff or just linear speed type stuff, you know, I think that's why, that's why, you know, a game of tag is so universal, right? You can do so many different things to, you can work on so many different varieties of, uh, of abilities, I guess. And we have a game called Powerball where you're going to like try to score a ball into a hula hoop and, you know, you can play two, three on three, four on four. The, the goal of the game though, is there's always one goal. That's there's always an extra goal. So for example, if there was, it was four on four, there's five goals. If it's five on five, there's six goals. If it's six on six there's seven goals. So there's always one goal mm. that's open, which is pretty cool because the defensive side has to figure out how to five people cover six goals. So they learn how to play sort of like a zone. You see, you can start, you could, you can start introducing zone concepts. Like this is your area. You might have to take your best kid who has to cover two goals yeah. where the other kids all cover one. Right. So you start to learn spacing and area, which is a huge concept, right? There's zone defense in every sport. There's zone blocking in football. There's zone defense in football. There's, you know, so you, instead of just like strictly man to man type stuff where you're just chasing someone down or trying to stop someone, you start learning like, all right, well, this is my space. So if anyone comes in my space, I'm going to take care of them, but not if someone runs away from me, I'm not going to chase them. So it's pretty cool to see during that type of game, how kids um, sort of pick up on zone spacing versus like man to man type spacing. And yeah. it's a it's a it's a blast to play because the game's just so high speed and, and you know, kids go all out diving and trying mm-hmm. to sh- throw the ball into the hoop and you know and it's under time we do it under time so like you get thirty seconds to score three balls so like the kids are just zigzagging left and right trying to score with one end and then they go the other end and you know it's awesome when you see it all kind of happen at once it's just pure chaos but inside that chaos if you put it on pause or slow motion you can see the decision makings going on and i do it all the time i'll watch that type of stuff just to see what's happening yeah i i I love one of the things i love about training youth soccer working with youth soccer is watching kids trying to figure out how to make decisions on their own like i'll see a kid like kind of trying to play his own defense you see him like looking you know he's like five or six and he's already figuring out how to like watch you know two players and try to figure out how to get you know be in the middle somehow it's like and yep. even if he's not in the absolute right place, like, I don't care. Like, I'm just c- glad that he's trying to figure this out. And, you know, I think it, with this, um, you know, just this show in general, too, I think, you know, I don't necessarily want to have the whole thing about, you know, off the offset, I wasn't thinking, oh, well, let's just talk about sports strategy the whole time. But but like we said at the beginning, like, the more you understand about everything, you start to get this intuitive picture for the whole, you know, the, the, this intuitive feel for the whole thing, no matter where exactly you are on the spectrum. And that's why, I just think it's so beneficial. I, I, I was going to say as well, I mean, I, that, I say that too because I could get carried away talking about little like youth soccer training strategy stuff and it's like, well, it's a strength and conditioning show. But I, uh, I was going to say it is fun. And then I'll get to, to some other more like um, athletic development, like, like gym-based topics. I have questions for you. But I, I was going to say sure. too, it's, it's interesting watching like just kids play soccer, like five and six-year-olds, like the whole thing is a small sided game to them because they aren't good enough yet with the context of kicking a ball around to get it yet. Like they don't get, they can't make it a big field game. So the only way to do it is to just change the game, like make it like Powerball or make it like a tag in a big space. You know, you have to just Mm -hmm. make it something they can win at 
It's funny. I was actually at a, a USA soccer run, like like parent survey thing a week, couple weekends ago where they had four and five year olds playing soccer on all these different, like different sizes of goals, sizes of fields. And you filled out like this survey, like what was the best? And I was kind of like, they're four, like that none of it matters. Like they don't, because this is too much, you know? So, but what you were saying, like, well, if you just change the constraints and just kind of getting in that mindset to say, all right, well, what, you know, are we using small spaces or large spaces and maybe just starting there and then thinking about how can I make this large space the best experience for the athletes in front of me? And even too, like it could be as simple as, and maybe this, you know, turning things back into more of the general, I guess you could say speed, strength and conditioning. If I want to work on speed, maybe it just being as simple as how can I take this space and make it a big space to encourage speed, linear speed, longer speed and problem solving. If I want to work on agility, I'm just going to make it a smaller space and start there. And now I can tweak the knobs to try to get what I want versus, you know, I think, I think it's fine to do a little bit of more like you know, canned, you know, even, you know, doing a can pro agility, if you're timing it and really like blasting it and using it as a training stimulus. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, you know, just making it a game, like, let's start there, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's kind of the genesis of like, I don't know if you saw uh, Carl Bally and I are doing like a kind of a masterclass in, in uh, March. And it's that's what it's about athletic games development. It's it's that's pretty much like what we're talking about, because I think it's such an overlooked topic that not enough you know, cause you can use those things. You can use these type of ideas with any level at Yes. Yeah. Any I mean? level. It doesn't matter if it's any level. college like you or pro, pro. Yeah. Yeah. Pro guys. I mean, I remember seeing, um, burn used to have burn Gambetta used to have like, uh, a, a, it was like a magazine called training and conditioning. I think that's what it was called. Mm-hmm. I still have it somewhere. I have all these old magazines, but like, I remember one of the covers showed like a guy, basically he was like in the air shooting the ball out of his hand into like a trash can and at the bottom it was like you know so and so from the you know florida panthers or you know someone in the nfl some nfl team or maybe it's jacksonville jaguars that's what it was it was like jacksonville quarterback so and so shoots the ball into a bucket uh, as they play games you know at preseason training and i was like wow like that and this is like 25 years ago and i was like that blew me away i was like oh they do they like they can do this stuff and then you read the article, like those type of things. Yeah. Like those, those, those activities can really help, you know, sort of, I don't even know, I guess with elite athletes, you're just like turning up the dial more, mm. right. You put them in that competitive environment. You're just like cranking up the dial to really see what they possess, like really see what they, their, that athleticism they have. And can you tap into it just a little, a little bit more, right. And you know what I mean? And not, and not have it be the sport that they play. Yeah. What other activities can we do that force them to problems problem solve a little bit, little bit differently than what they do on the field in their their main sport? But can they take those skills or those problem solving abilities that they learn playing these games and put it back into their real sport? You know what I mean? So yeah, and, and so that's kind of him and I have been going back and forth for years about this stuff, and then finally, like let's, we were just like, let's just sit down and like put a program together and explain to people like how you can use these athletic development games through the whole spectrum from little kids, like, you know, six-year-old soccer all the way up and through pro football, you know? So, and obviously I've been doing it for years. So it's nice to get like sort of uh, take all those ideas that I've had that are just sort of all over the place and put them in a kind of a structured sort of like explanation of how, how and why and where you use them. Yeah. So, 
it's, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. Yeah, and I, I these things are universal too, because even like if you want to put the strength and conditioning hat on it, because it's all to me, it's all this is all sport. You know, it's it's yeah. all it's all sport. And if you want to put the strength and conditioning hats, like okay, well, if you play in small uh, small space games, it's probably going to be more quads, you know, adductors. Yeah. You know, if you want to go long space, open it up, maybe more hamstrings. You know, you're getting you are working different muscles too. And if you want to, like, you could even periodize your week based off of the space of the the space you're working in. I just think it's to me the idea of of using like space and opening up space and finding a way to win, creating a way to that people. It's not too complicated. People get the point and they can problem solve. And with the elite athletes too, I, you know, this is back to that topic of who's fast early on. Like the reason yeah. those elite athletes are elite, yes, it's because they have physical gifts, but they're also elite level problem solvers. So why don't you want that to be also part of the equation in what you're doing? You and, know, yeah, I agree. And they're exposing themselves against other elite level problem solvers, which creates even more elite problem solving. You know what I mean? It's like when you get really like the best of the best against each other then the best ones out of that, those guys are going to come up with other stuff. You know what I mean? So I think that's the idea that you can use those activities, slightly different activities that you typically, they're typically used to in, in their, their sport and see what, you know, what you get out of it. You know, what, what's going to, what are they going to come up with here? You know, and at the same time with younger kids, it's like, we want to expose them to those things. So they learn sort of one problem. All right. I can, I, I they, they figure out how to do things one way, but then maybe there's another way. So they try something else. So it's more, more exploration type thing. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's why I think it's such a great, it's such a, these things are just so great across the board as far as athletic development goes. And I, you know, talking to like, I don't, I the other part of me too. It's like, I get so bored. I see like the college, you know, the college strength and conditioning hype videos and like everyone's doing freaking a skips. Everyone's doing, you know, the same stuff. Like everyone's doing this. I think Michael Smythe yeah. talked about this. Like everyone's doing the same stuff. So how are you going to be better? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, I get the same way. Like I can only do so many a skips in the summer <laughs> and the same warm up. You know what I mean? I just can't. And the kids too, I think they get bored out of, bored out of their minds as well. Yeah. And so it's like, you got to come up with creative ways to like, you can come up with creative ways for everything. You can come up with creative ways to warm up, to do mobility, you know, to do, to do, uh, you know, plyometrics. And I think we, one of your questions was about jump training. We can talk about that, but like, I can only do so many hurdle jumps in the summer, you know what I mean? Before yeah. I have to like turn the hurdle jump into a dive roll and sprint. So it's like, I think the, those type of games that you can come up with different types of athletic games with the, with the athletes, you can really make practice really enjoyable, something they look forward to. And something that they work really hard at and try really hard. And ultimately, like, right, intent is like the, the thing you want the most. They're they going to put everything they, ha they have into those things to, to get a training effect and get better. Yeah. Paul Cater, who's been on this podcast, has said that when things become too, like, I guess you could say canned and scalable, like, hey, these guys mm -hmm. are doing this exact drill and this exact setup, and then you try to scale it. There might be some, some good things in that specific drill, but it kind of loses its magic when it's too predictable. And yep. it's like, that's where having like some concepts that you can be creative with can keep that game like nature going that, that spirit that, that keeps things maximally fun and engaging throughout yeah. a practice. I miss COVID. Honestly, I do. Cause like we couldn't be in a gym. So we were outside with so many athletes just, and you had to get so creative. And so, you know, whatever I could fit in my truck was like medicine balls and hurdles and some sticks 
and things like that. And, and, and even in that realm, like we would do like in a workout, I would do like a medicine ball vertical throw, like a scoop toss. Right. So we do something in that kind of like sagittal type movement. Right. And then we go right into like a, you know, hurdle jump. But then like after a few, few weeks, we, we got bored with that. And it was like, all right, well, let's just do one set of that. And then the next set we'll do, we're going to do sort of like a rotational throw with the medicine ball. So a scoop toss, but mm-hmm. we're going to throw it over one shoulder, then the other. And then we'd go over to the, to do a jump, like a complex, like, like activity. We do like a lateral broad jump to vertical jump or lateral, lateral uh, broad jump to, uh, to like a straight jump, uh, like a bound or something. You know, we, we'd start linking exercises together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I felt like when we started doing that, the kids like really liked, like they really enjoyed putting those different pieces together and they really enjoyed like changing almost set by set changing slightly tweaking the activity we were doing and i think it made training a lot more like less monotonous and a lot more fun and they they really would focus more because every exercise you're every you know every set you're introducing something slightly new yeah i think so yeah, in coaching, it's always like you're you're running a, a particular type of setup, be it plyometric or speed, and there's always something in your head or your gut that's like, "Hey, this could work well," you know, mm, like and, and just go with it, you know, like it doesn't. Yep. You don't have to sit there and do everything as on the paper, even if it's just a small change. And then you see, and the athletes feel that too. I was going to say too. I do want to have a question for you that I don't want to. I don't want to let time get lost and not ask this because I've I've been thinking about this and talking with some different people about this. But do you feel, um, I don't know, sometimes I look at it as almost like there's the chaos and adaptability of games and then there's, mm-hmm. there's strength and conditioning. Like maybe you could even think of holding an extreme ISO as the ultimate polarity, right? Like you have total chaos, total adaptability, total problem solving, and then, you know, like just a set of squats or holding a lunge or something that is causing a physical adaptation. But really what my question is, is do you feel like, and you mentioned this, like with, you said your son, like he's, he's. He's big and he's good at um, like defense and rebounds and he really plays into that and, and playing into like strength, like physical strength and ability. And do you feel like the or what's your thoughts on the traditional strength and conditioning mentality in terms of maybe working better for some athletes than others? You know, like that, that just gifted kid who doesn't, you know, need he doesn't need to do all the grindy stuff at all versus do you feel like for other people getting into a little bit of that grindy is actually necessary for the type of player and gifts they have. Uh, it's probably a little yeah. bit of a complex question, but I'm curious your thoughts on that. No, I got, listen, I got a bunch of, I mean, I have a group of kids that come down every day. They're all in high school and they're all like, they basically lift for two hours. Like we don't do any like plyometrics. We don't, you know, we, we kind of wait to do speed training in the spring. Like these guys just want to lift. And they're all, if you look at them, they all played like, they're all like linebacker, you know, defensive line, offensive line, big fullback we have. You know, we do like this upper lower body split and they like crush cleans mm-hmm. and squats and snatches and deadlifts. And they, they like literally are, and I can't get rid of them. They're <laughs> there for two hours and they're all, that's all their mindset is like, that's how they're all, I agree with you hundred percent. I think for them to be sort of engaged and, and like they're there, they enjoy that type of training. And I feel like if we, if I took them and be like, no, we're going to go do games or chaos type stuff. Like, I don't think that they would, they would like it as much Mm. like they really enjoy. And so we're during the winter time, that's where we're going to go with. And that's what, you know, that's what they do. You know, and I, and my, my two boys, like the oldest one, like he's like that, like he doesn't, 
he feels that like getting in the gym and just getting stronger benefits him more than anything else that he does because he gets so much more, he gets so much stimulus at football practice and then at, at basketball practice and baseball, you know what I mean? He's, he's sprinting and jumping and doing all those things at his practices that he feels like, like the thing that will help him the most is getting down there and just getting as strong and as explosive as possible. Where my other boy who's sort of more skilled, you know, he's like a, you know, just a, he's got a kind of a good all around athlete. He's more of a scorer in sports. He plays wide receiver. He probably doesn't think he needs the weight room as much. Right. And, but he's more of a, um, like you see him work really hard. He probably doesn't work as hard in the weight room, but when he goes to like, say he does like a skill clinic, like say he goes to basketball practice or does a hitting clinic with his, his coaches or whatever, he works really hard at that stuff. Like he likes that stuff engages him a lot. Right. So there's a two, two of my own kids and they're completely different. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, you see, you see, you see both. There's some kids that can totally love the, they love the, the sport type chaos stuff where they they'll work really hard at those that stuff and think that that's helping them the most so great go for it and then there's the other guy like the other side of it is my other son he just wants to freaking he's a meathead he just wants, he just wants <laughs> yeah. to lift he just wants to lift you know what i mean so it's funny you talk about that he i have one of those uh hammer strength um deadlift machines like you can put your back foot up behind it and almost it's almost like a bulgarian split squat and uh he found, I don't know why I never even told him to do it, but if he does these 30 second Bulgarian split squat holds at the bottom and, uh, he, he swears that like, it gets rid of his knee pain. Like every time his knee hurts, he's like, I hate them because they hurt. Like, obviously I think the handles themselves, like the hammer strength machine handles itself. Like if you just picked it up without any weight on, it's probably 75, 80 pounds. So it's not light, you know, to hold the bottom, you know, bottom position for 30 seconds. But he swears, he swears to me that Anytime his knee hurts, if he does like four or five sets of those 30 second holds, his knee pains, his knee pains gone. Cause his coach is crazy. I mean, they practice like two and a half hours a day on that hardwood, just going hard. You know what I mean? And so he, he swears to me that that gets rid of his, any knee pain he has. I say, Hey, do whatever works for you. Great. You know what I mean? That, and that's the other thing too. I was thinking about when you said we were going back and forth, like you read a lot on Twitter, like this program and this periodize this and periodize that. And like, I've had such a great success with kids just coming in from practice and being like, well, all right, well, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. All right. Are you gassed today? All right. Well, we're going to do this today. You know, and another day they might come in. I, oh, I feel great. All right, well, let's go. We're going to hit, uh, we're going to have a heavy clean day, right? You feel good. Great. Uh, we have another day coach, you know, the coaches crushed him at practice. Legs are smoked. Great. Let's just bench today. You know what I mean? We're going to do, three or four upper body exercises. And I've had kids like in season, put weight on, get stronger, you know, make progress by just going day to day. We have nothing written out. There's no program written out ahead of time. None of that stuff. It's just like, all right, how do you feel today? The only thing you need to know, like I need to know is like, what are the exercises that you needed that you know how to do and the ones that you like? And then we'll go from there. Let's pick the exercises that are going to make you feel better. I got a girl. She's a, you know, she plays varsity basketball. She's a senior. She's going to play soccer next year. But same thing. She comes in every day. And it's like, okay, this is how I feel. I'm, you know, and then we just sit down and plan based on how she feels that day and what she's got happening as far as practice and games going on the rest of the week. Yeah. With the, it, it is so interesting to me to look at 
I just love looking at the diversity of different types. Like you had talked about your um, your other son who's more skilled with like the offensive stuff. And that's yep. where he finds his confidence. And I think that mm-hmm. it's just interesting because if you don't, I think if you just look at it like, hey, here's strength and conditioning. Everybody needs to love it. They need to have like discipline and be tough. It's like, yeah, the, the people who are defensive players, like those types of kids might get a great experience there. But the the real like offensive studs, I don't, I just don't ever see them ever finding yep. their confidence in that. It almost is like anti and to try to feel like antithetical, I could like type it out. It's like the opposite of what their bread and butter is, which is like just being a score, being agile on the field. Yep. It's like, it's almost, and yet it's like, oh, well, you got to buy in. Well, I mean, yeah, you can get stronger and lift and be resilient. Right. But it's like, yeah. you're not, this is never going to sure. be your superpower. And like, I think just some people have a hard time seeing it that way, you know? Yep. I agree with you a hundred percent. It's like, for him, it's like, all right, well, if he comes down, like, let's do, uh, you know, we're going to do some squats and cleans and you know, like just, he just does like a few sets of this and that. And he gets really bored really quickly and he wants to get in and out and he wants to go do other stuff. And I'm totally fine with that. I don't ever be like, dude, you need to be like your brother. Like you need to be like, you know, cause he's not like, cause he's doing, he, when he plays his sports, he's successful. He's being, he's, he's been successful so far doing those things. I think a lot of it too, is just growing up and being in a gym and running around and doing flips and cartwheels and yeah. climbing on stuff. Like that's obviously a, a huge part of it. But at the same time, like I want him to be happy and gravitate to and do the things that he gravitates towards and finds enjoyment in. So, you know, if the weight rooms, if he doesn't love the weight room, like, yeah, get stronger, do a couple of things, but you don't have to live here. Not at all. Go do the stuff that it's going to make you happy and make you play better. Yeah. I love how the interconnectedness of so many of these things, like even in the podcast I was doing with uh, Julian Pinot and I think Richard Shavis might've uh, touched on this a little bit, but even the relationship of like, body types and where your muscles are and your personality. And like, I just think that it's so cool to be able to look at an athlete and be like, this is your superpower. And these are all the things that help that superpower. And yet just do enough of your weakness that you stay balanced, that you don't become imbalanced, that we, you have what you need. But I think it's, I'm always so intrigued too, because I'm almost, sometimes I, I feel the pull to swing the other way in the sense of, and I think it's a lot of it's based off of myself where I was, I was more of a defensive, well, Defense was my, I was better at defense because I was so invested in my physical fitness and my physical abilities, but I had offensive ability, but a lot of it was, was masked because of anxiety in particular situations. Like I could be an all-star offensively. I'd go to the YMCA and just, even with people who are pretty good on the other team, you know, and just crush it because the environment was not, but it was like, if it was a big game in high school, the other team was pretty athletic, like I would just fold, but then I would go play against athletic people in a pickup game. You know, and so I've always just been right. intrigued by, well, oh, everyone has this offensive ability. Let's bring, let's make everybody that offensive scoring machine, you know, and let's, but I'm like, well, not everyone is quite that way. You know, it's like, and so yeah. I think for me, it's important. The more like the more people you see, the more of an open mind you have of, well, this is what this person loves and this is how it fits with their entire personality. And even like find your superhero. Watch Dennis Rodman. Man, I, you know, I was actually, I have like different um, posters in my basement. I got like Usain Bolt and Steve Prefontaine. I was going to get one of Dennis Rodman like diving into the sidelines, like just different pictures that personify different archetypes of what it means to be an athlete and like understanding each one of those. At least that's where I'm trying to head, you know, and the more stories I sure. hear, the more people I talk to like yourself um, the more I can get a feeling for that whole picture and where people really can find their niche and, and their superpower. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny. I used to train two, two brothers and, uh, one of them, uh, 
one of them ended up playing at Harvard. The other one went to a like smaller uh, a Trinity, I think. But um, it's funny, their personalities like sort of showed their position on the field. So like one of them was sort of like he was a really they he played offensive line, but he didn't like people in his personal space. So he was like one of those kids that was nervous around people and he'd always like push people away. You know what I mean? Where his like brother was a very type A aggressive in your face all the time, like always trying to like beat you at everything. And he played like defensive end. And like, if you look at the positions that they play compared, compared to their personality, like it fits perfectly. Hmm. Like this kid, his job is to like protect the quarterback and keep guys away from him and his quarterback. Right. And then the other brother who was like really aggressive, like play defense. And he was like a shark on the field. He just wanted to run people down and tackle them. And it used to fascinate me that like their personalities fell into, you know, fell into the position that they play on the field. It's pretty, it's pretty neat to see. Yeah. I love how it's all, yeah, it's all connected. And it makes me just excited for as I continue to, you know, coach. I hope I coach more than soccer too. I'm like, I, it's just, it's just convenient right now. And I'm like, oh, am I just falling to convenience? Cause I have other, other work to do in coaching soccer. Like I want to coach other sports as well. And, and oh, yeah, yeah. Just see how personalities fit within all these sports. Um, Listen, you're, you're gonna, um, I, you know, when my guys were small, like yours, I, you know, I think I coached baseball first. And then somehow I got wrangled into coaching lacrosse, which I'd never <laughs> played in my life. I've coached, you know, I've coached multiple basketball teams. Obviously I coach football, uh, still, um, I've done little league base, minor league baseball and little league baseball. I did Babe Ruth baseball and you know, yeah, you just, you don't even, you don't, you don't know what's coming over the years. You're going to end up being everything, doing everything. And I tell you what, not only do you have fun, but it makes you, it makes you a better coach uh, in the long run. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I'm excited. I'm actually excited for someone to call me up and say, "Hey, can you coach this sport?" Right. I, I yeah, it, it's uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. But hey, I got one more question, and maybe it's not super related, but you did mention this, and it's something that I've had in my head, especially with the level of like you know seeing the kids who are just super fast problem solvers, fast the ball with soccer. And I I remember doing this one day. I think it was the five year old group. It was we were warming up with just like, "Hey, be a bear, be a." you know, be a kangaroo or be a fish. That was a fun one. And like, yep. you know, for the warm up. And then um, I would just say, hey, show me your cartwheel. Who can do a cartwheel? And like, seriously, the kids who were the best athletes, the best players, they could all do a cartwheel. I don't know if they went to gymnastics or not, but it's like there was something about being able to coordinate your body in space when there's no reference points. I think yep. about that a lot because it's like you watch... I think like people you know, in speed training, people are like, oh, this guy's a push runner. Like they have to get on the ground and push. It's almost like they need more ground to like, you know, to move yep. or whatever. And I look at you know, athletes who can kind of coordinate and they're, you know, different types of athletes. Maybe athletes have more muscle or they're more elastic. But I've se- what I've seen is athletes who really got it. They seem to be able to do things in the air really well. And so I just wanted you to finish or close this out by you touching on aerial coordination what you see with that in terms of a correlation with good athleticism and then how much of that is trainable. Obviously you can expose people to it and should, um, but whatever way you want to take that question. Yeah. You know what, if you read, uh, if you read the uh, athletic skills model book, there's actually like a section in there. Like there's a whole section on balance and they have this section on there called air balance. And it's like, basically the definition in there is basically like, you know, how well can you coordinate your body in the air, you know, doing different activities, like while you're moving through the air, maybe not in connection with the ground or using the ground a little bit, push off or whatever. But, um, yeah, that's what, when you talked, when you just said that, I think that's the first thing I thought of is like that whole idea of, of like air balance. And yeah, I feel like the kids, 
who are the most athletic. Like if you came down into my young kids class and the kids, like we always have that type of component in that. And cause it's probably cause it's, cause I think it's not only obviously fun for kids spinning through the air or flying through the air, but I think it's super, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It really taps into their vestibular proprioceptive system. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they, they, they seek that type of stuff out, especially a kid who's like, fairly good mover they're going to try to do things they're going to try to find activities that allow them to do those things whether it's like you know like we do like just even like jumping off a ramp you know we like run they'll like sprint hit the ramp and just try to jump as far as they can or we'll put a hurdle out and they have to hit the ramp and jump over it they just love that feeling of like moving through the air and so i think a lot of kids seek seek out seek out those things and and i what i see is the kids that are the best athletes right away are usually the kids who can can manipulate their bodies through the air all the time. So many kids I can think of right now that come down to my, my facility right now. Like we do a lot of like jumps onto the crash mat and these guys can, you know, you'll see, and it's funny too. They'll change. Like they'll do a, they'll do like a front hand spring and then they'll, that'll feel comfortable. So then they'll hit like a front hand spring and then they slightly like do like a, an aerial twist and then they'll do like a full flip. And like, yeah, it's the, it's those kids that are seem to have, a good idea of the space, you know, where their body is in space, they can manipulate their body more. But what I also see is once you get a kid that maybe hasn't been exposed to those things and you introduce them to, uh, those activities, they take to it really quickly and they're blown. They actually surprise themselves of like what they can do. So I see it all the time. Like a new kid comes to the gym and he's never done like a, he doesn't, you know, he's never landed on a crash mat or anything. And he does his first rep and he's like, he jumps over a little mat and lands on the crash mat. Oh, that was fun. And then the next time they like, you know, they get a little bit more bold and brave every time they go. And before you know it, they're hitting front handsprings and they're hitting maybe a kind of a front shoulder roll or, a, you know, some type of twist in the air. You know what I mean? So, and then what, what did that, ha- what, what just happened for that kid? You just expanded his movement skill set significantly in one session, right? So that's going back. That's the beauty of uh, the beauty of the crash mat is that a kid can, can, can problem solve and come up with a variety of different ways to move all on his own without me teaching him anything just by either trying things out or observing other kids and what they're doing. Yeah. I think there's, it's interesting too. I feel like there has to be some level of confidence to gain from like a kid who couldn't do a cartwheel or couldn't do a flip to a lot of times the, the, the gym or the weight room has talked about from you know, gaining confidence through getting more muscle, getting stronger, which I, I can definitely see that effect. But I feel like there's also an effect in, hey, could, I could do this. I could manipulate my body in this way that I didn't think I could. I can coordinate. I can get inverted and coordinate my body like this. And just feeling more athletic that way, too, I think is uh, yeah. could be a helpful thing for kids as well. That's the old like, uh, you know, the beauty of the kid in your neighborhood who had a pool. You know, yeah. that kid could always, that kid, <laughs> yeah. that kid, yes. the kid who had a pool, had an in-ground pool with a diving board, that kid could always swim and he could always dive and he could always do all kinds of tricks because he just exposed to that diving board way more than the rest of us. Yeah. Or the trampoline you know I mean? too, right? Trampoline too. Like, yeah. yeah, like that, that I swear, I swear, I'm, I'm telling you, like my kids learn how to catch because we played this stupid game where they would just bounce on the trampoline and I would just like <laughs> throw the ball in the air and they would like try to catch the ball at the highest point. And we played that game so much when they were little. And I'm, that's the reason why they can catch a football now in, in space. Yeah. Like, I feel like they can jump and catch a ball. 
because we just did that so much when they were little in our trampoline. So much so that we destroyed the trampoline. We had to get <laughs> the Frisch family trampoline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh, well, good so. stuff, Jeremy. Well, hey, man, I wish I had time to get to the last few questions here, but I, I really enjoy everything we did cover today. And I, I just think that that overarching message of just coaching more situations and getting that total feel for all ends of athleticism and the individual types within the different components of it. I just think it's really important, helpful. Um, it's great talking to you about all this stuff today. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up today on anything we covered? Yeah. Like I said, I just, I think some people don't realize how like uh, infancy and, and, and being a baby all connects to being a toddler, which connects to being a pre-adolescent, you know, like all these, all these age groups all connect and they all, they're all important to go through. And if you, if you uh, can exploit those in a positive way, each time you're going to end up with a better product toward the end. You know what I mean? I think there's so much in strength conditioning that just, just concentrates on the elite you know, the high school or college or pro, right? And they, you forget like this whole, all these years of development that got them to that point. And I think a lot of people overlook because they're just so into like, you know, the raw, like let's lift. And, you know, the strength coaches are so into their programs and periodization and all that stuff when it's like half the reason, most of the reason why you guys see success in the weight room with those guys is like, because they work hard and they've had a significant, well, in genetics and then having like all these years exposed to lots of different things to make them really good athletes. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And like I said, I was, I just wanted to let people know that we are doing a, that masterclass March 20th. And this is exactly what we're going to be talking about is, you know, athletic games development and how it can, how, how you can use these games to become a better athlete from the youngest athletes all the way up and through you know, through the college, pro, high school, all that, you know, basically at any age group, you can, athletic games can be beneficial for uh, your athletic development. Yeah, that sounds awesome, Jeremy. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. And hopefully it'll, it'll coincide pretty well with when this gets released. So people can for sure. check that out right away. But man, awesome having you on the show. Great catching up again, too. I wish we had a little bit more time to chat today, but thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it, man. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Great talking to you. Thanks for tuning in to another show. Appreciate you being here. If you enjoy the show and you like what we're doing, feel free to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you're listening to. I'd absolutely appreciate it. We'll see you all next week.